Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Destiny Geek Code. This is Taylor. And Amanda. Guys, I mean, villainy. We have covered now two parts of it, and this is our third up of it. We did say a trilogy, and much like Lord of the Rings, we're going to keep it to that. So this is a wonderful little wrap-up and just a nice show to talk about, well, why we love the bad guys so much. I mean, we clearly just dedicated at least two shows to it. And we're probably going to dedicate so many more. So it's worth mentioning exactly why we're doing this. I think you make an absolutely great point because, you know, originally we were going to go with the idea of let's discuss the meh villain. And then Amanda and I talked for probably two hours to realize just about anybody could fit into that category. Yeah, it really became a horrible catch-all of, like, not really villain, super campy villain, and then effectively a troll so basically this show stands to kind of review some of the things that we covered just in case the first two were a little bit intense because i mean when dealing with bad guys everything you're going to do is a little intense exactly so like amanda said we're going to review really quickly uh the basic points of the last two episodes just in case uh there's something we weren't clear on, or in case, you know, you may be joining us for the first time. So we're going to start with um, part one, which was our villain versus the supervillain. And I have to say, this was a very intense conversation between the two of us, because we both agreed that there's a little confusion between, you know, your basic villain versus what exactly is, makes a supervillain. Right, and we definitely came to the basic conclusion that your villain is pretty much acting as a crime boss. Think of, like, the Penguin. Yes, they're definitely doing bad things. It's definitely stuff that is not laudable. However, it's pretty low on the scale of, like, destroying planets and trying to, like, seriously wipe out individuals. So Penguin's actually a great example. Kingpin, if I'm allowed. And, think, and characters along that line. These are bad guys, but they're pretty much will cap out around money laundering, drug trafficking, and maybe a few weapons trade, illegal things. And then, you know, in that same basic category, you've got the people who are really just trying to survive. So that's going to be, like, in the Flash, your rogues gallery, and a few other villains that are basically like, look, we need to do a jewel heist. They're not really in it for the money or glory. They're really in it just because, for some reason, whether it's, a violent past, drug use, or whatnot, they can't seem to hold a job in a normal societal view, so they turn to villainy. And the great thing that we, you know, discussed and found out about these basic villains is, which I think is actually really cool, is that they live by a code of morals. A lot of them do. Right. There definitely seems to be some kind of honor among thieves, which I always think is really interesting. If I'm allowed to gloat on how much I love the Penguin, He's a very, very shrewd businessman when it comes down to it. And at the end of the day, he's very, very slow to do anything that is, end quote, bad for business. Which usually leads him to, despite doing some pretty shady things, doing it in the most ethical and on the up and up way. So kudos for that. Exactly. Um, so moving on, as we discussed, we've got the supervillain. So this is going to be your character that's... Um... They're going to go a little above and beyond exactly what um, your basic villain's going to do. So this is someone that's going to be more prone to 
taking hostages. They're in it for the money and the glory. Uh, world domination is a very big um, motivational point for them. But fun, fun thing, they don't have to have superpowers to fall into this category. Right, and supervillains are so interesting because they're also incredibly singularly focused. Even if that singular focus is chaos, like with the Joker. Joker's a great example of, yes, the goal is chaos, but it's a very, very focused goal on chaos. Um, other great examples of, like, the true supervillain include, like, Red Skull, Doctor Doom, um, Lex Luthor is probably one of my favorites when it comes to that. You just have this great, if I'm allowed, cabal of really, really bad guys who are truthfully in it for wrong. There is no code of ethics, there's no morals, there's no rules of engagement. It's, if you are in my way and I want to destroy you, I'm taking you down, and if I take down a whole city block with a gamma ray with it, so be it. And then there's this sad kind of violin playing in the background category of the villain or supervillain. And that's going to be your character that takes who thinks they're in the best intentions when they're doing it. So this is going to be the greatest example of all time. This is going to be your Magneto. Someone who has seen humanity at its worst and is afraid that it's going to come back again. So he is given these powers and he feels it is his duty to save everybody and all of mankind despite whatever his methods will be and all honesty he feels like he's doing the right thing right and definitely something we brought up in that episode was how often we heard professor xavier saying no he has the best intentions and that was always really really difficult to um when it when it came to siding with you know professor x or with magneto it was always very very difficult to do Fun fact about pretty much everyone in this category, they're incredibly charming and charismatic. <laughs> exactly. I mean, if in all honesty, evil has always been very, very charming and seductive. And just about everyone in this category has that. Even the Joker. I mean, he was able to sway Harley Quinn over to his side. Absolutely. Now, kicking off, we'll definitely now talk about the vigilante versus the anti-hero. Now... Basically, your example for vigilante is going to be the guy who thinks that justice isn't good enough. Um, this is the guy that looks at, you know, his city or girl, just in case, you know, not trying to be, you know, anything. You know, this is the individual who looks at their city and says, not enough is going on. I could, there needs to be more. I'm going to be that more. And your poster child for the vigilante is, it has to be Batman. I mean, it has to be Bruce Wayne who looked at Gotham and said, the police aren't enough, there's still crime, I'm going to stop that crime. And he, of course, created one of the greatest superpowers of all, which is money and spare time. <laughs> exactly. And then, you know, we've got a lot, a lot of great examples. One of the most recent ones that is going to probably going to stick in everyone's mind is going to be the modern adaptation of Oliver Queen on CW's Arrow. And if you've listened to the last episode, there's a good 10-minute rant of, of me about this, so I'm not going to go into that. But this is a much darker Christopher Nolan-like take on Oliver Queen, and he's very much, he learns that everything that he's thought about his city and everything is a lie. 
and that he finds out exactly how corrupt it is. So once he gets off the island, he makes it his job to take down just about every crime boss he can, every drug lord, you know, even the cops in the system that are corrupt. Yeah, but with no boxing glove arrows, which is why I'm not watching. Actually, there was a boxing glove arrow in one episode. Um, and there's even uh, the spirit, which Amanda's more the expert on, but, you know, someone who was a cop died, came back to life, and basically resumed being a cop just the same. Right, and actually, the, between the spirit and Batman, those are really, really interesting juxtapositions that we brought up in our episode, was that you have Batman who's definitely not playing well on the law side. Batman definitely thinks he's above the law, he's better, he w- is less willing to work with the cops. You have the spirit, on the other hand, who's incredibly willing to work with the cops, tries his best to be helpful, until the octopus is mentioned, or sans serif. As soon as either of those two names are mentioned, He's off at his own spirit world with the hot version of death and doing whatever he feels like, doing parkour in 1950s, whatever. So it's really, really an interesting, you know, dual vision of the vigilante, of the one who definitely thinks that cops aren't doing what they need to do, that they aren't enough, and the one that totally has respect for the cops, but really just wants to help. I mean, I honestly have to say, I think the Spirit's got it better for him. I mean, you mentioned one of those two, and he kind of goes crazy. It's better than Oliver Queen. You mention anything, and he starts talking about the island again. That's true. Which actually now kind of leads us into the anti-hero. Now, this one's weird, because especially for fans, we are very, very quick to understand that there's a difference between a protagonist or someone who's like a rival and you know a straight up villain the villain's the one that wants you dead the anti-hero's the one that isn't exactly doing things as well as they should um actually a great example of that is um for assault on arkham is how they cast um deadshot they really cast him as you know He's just a guy trying to save his daughter, and then Amanda Waller comes in, and she's all crazy, and he's just doing everything he can. He's just not doing it in the best way. Anti-hero is supposed to be the individual with questionable morals, but is still doing the right thing. (laughs) And let me just go ahead and say, I'm actually surprised that we haven't discussed this, but you just mentioned the greatest anti-hero slash vigilante of all time. Amanda the Wall Waller. Oh my, I mean, that's almost its own show. Amanda Waller is definitely someone who sees herself way above the wall, way above the law, way above everything. Like, truthfully, she works for the government. There is no one who can tell her what to do. And she definitely takes things into her own hands. Not exactly in the nicest way, but her results are almost always guaranteed. She typically gets what she wants, and if that means that she has to remove a flash drive from the Riddler's cane, and it just happened to take out most of Arkham and most of the Suicide Squad with it, I mean, well, that's why it's called Suicide Squad. <laughs> Precisely. Um, and, you know, we also discussed that, that what really sets the anti-hero apart from that vigilante is when it comes down to it, what side is that person going to be on? When... Brainiac is coming, you bet your sweet ass that uh, Catwoman's usually going to side with the side of good because she doesn't want to live in a world where there's nothing shiny or pretty for her to steal. 
Exactly. And, and definitely it's about, you know, where the hat lays when it's time to go home. And I think that's probably the most interesting thing about that category of um, really class of just character is at the end of the day, it's where allegiance lies when shit really hits the fan. It's true. You know, when apocalypse comes, where is Gambit <laughs> outside of trying to hide in the bayou? <laughs> Precisely. So moving on, we've got, which in my notes say the trollololololo villain. Yeah. Now, here's the funny thing. I actually love this category because this is actually kind of a tie-off between the meh villain that we were going to discuss, actually Gambit being a bit of a poster child for, because I don't honestly think I ever casted, cast Gambit as a villain until I saw, like, X-Men the Animated Series, when they had to, like, super over-dramatize him to make him sound like he was really such a bad guy. When he wasn't! He just, he was on the side of money. Money was, money and Rogue. Those were, <laughs> that was the side he was on. This is the villain that is either completely in it for themselves, um, early versions of the Winter Soldier, if anyone read, where he was basically a Russian-speaking Deadpool, and of course, the best of all, Deadpool. <laughs> I mean, I don't think there's another character in the entire universe that's more of a troll than Deadpool. I mean, when you can break the fourth wall. Exactly, and villain is kind of a misnomer for this, but it wraps into this category only because of the absolute total disregard for anything else going on. I mean, I definitely show my age because my route for the Winter Soldier is, yeah, he's he's a Russian-speaking Deadpool. He's on whoever's side signs the check faster and pops up, makes Captain America feel really, really bad, and then disappears again. <laughs> you know... Setting our pieces on the board and moving the villains aside, you know, there's that one other category that a lot of people don't like to discuss, and that's that superhero that just takes it way too far, for whatever reason, and I think... Yeah, now, this is an interesting category, because typically we wouldn't cast this with villainy, but when your hero is doing the exact same things as the villain, you can't exactly still call them a hero. Um, really, really notable examples are, if we look up in the Super Family, Superman has some really questionable moments of like, okay, you're gonna stop punching him now, right? Okay, no, seriously, we're gonna stop punch- okay, no, still punching, alright, you know? I think there's- I think almost every major hero has at least had a moment where they've taken it too far, just way- too far. I mean, some of the battles with Thor and the Midgard Serpent are just these suicidal escapades through Central Park, just taking out buildings and trees and stuff, while Thor prattles on, this is my fate! <laughs> Whew, that was a bad episode of Avengers. That was a really mean... And just all the poor people that are just so confused, like, what is this giant flying magic death snake in this shakespearean blonde actor who's determined to die with it really good thing to mention with the heroes that take it too far is a lot of times it's it's just it's not an understanding of boundaries it's a cultural difference and one of the uh best examples that we use as far as cultural differences go would be uh miss martian especially in her adaptation of young justice 
where it's like in the first episode, they tell her, whoa, no telepathic linking, stop reading our minds, this is not okay, and her blatant response is, really, we do this all the time on Mars. Right, and it even goes further back than her. Martian Manhunter, depending on who writes him, will just walk up to people and mind erase them, because like, oh, we do this all the time. You know, it definitely... We have that issue, like, with um, Silver Surfer. I mean, you definitely get these, you know, demigod-ish, you know, interstellar folk who just don't understand, no, an Earth greeting isn't, you know, wiping someone's brain and walking off to go get, you know, soft serve. Even though, you know, Starfire was quite fond of greeting humans by kissing them, but apparently that's how she learned the language. Well, apparently. <laughs> um, and it's... It, and we have to mention again and again and again the Golden Boy Xbox Achievement Platinum Trophy character that falls into this category. Probably founded the club himself. It has to be good old Bruce Wayne, a.k.a. Batman. Oh my gosh. I mean, some of the things that Batman has done. I just burned down three orphanages, but so help it, I'm now one step closer to finding Poison Ivy's location. Like, no, that's not equal. You need to stop. But especially older versions of Batman where he was still a pistol toting, you know, will just will take just about anyone down kind of individual. But as we mentioned, almost every hero has a moment. I mean, I remember plenty of instances where Aquaman would just tidal wave. You know, basically Aquaman used surf and you know it was super effective. He took out a beach, and, you know, there was one guy who stole a woman's purse. Well, you just drowned a, you know, school bus load of children. But you got the lady's purse back. She's dead, too, now, because no one else can breathe underwater. But, you know, good job. You got the purse. <laughs> now, this actually leads us to a pretty good point. It's always fun to... F you always can learn so much about someone by knowing who their favorites are. And between TJ and I, we have some pretty eclectic tastes when it comes to our favorite villains. I'm a little weird. You'll probably notice a trend, but I definitely listed off like Clary and the Witch Boy like first off. I mean, you can't say no to basically the extra magical version of Lassat running around in that universe. <laughs> definitely have a big soft spot for Morgan Le Fay. And I have a huge soft spot for Gambit. Again, are we noticing a trend here? Whereas with me, you know, I guess you could say my tastes are a little more um, simmer down a little bit. Um, convention. Yeah, here we go. I mean, it's more a fine wine. I'm over here with Mr. Pibb, basically. <laughs> um, mine's, you know, Catwoman has always been one of my favorites, especially when Bruce Wayne's not around. Uh, Harley Quinn. I mean, she's the girl who inspired this entire podcast for us. And again, when she's not with the Joker, I think she's an absolutely great character. And um, I'm really big on the rogues gallery, which if you watch episode one, you basically hear Amanda basically slap me upside the head and tell me to be quiet and move on with the show because I spend so much time talking about them. But especially Captain Cold, because I just love the fact that he's basically, at the end of the day, he always had wonders to himself how he got stuck with such idiots. And if you can't tell from our other shows, Amanda and I have very, very different tastes as far as this comes. <laughs> Absolutely, and that's what makes it so interesting. But there's a common theme here. We were both just able to list a bunch of bad guys that we absolutely love. 
So why the hell do we love the bad guy? That's, I mean, could you ask a more loaded question? Uh, I mean, I think for me, and this is just me, I think it comes down to two things. It comes down to relatability, and it comes down to charisma. Relatability comes in the fact that I know for me, when I was sitting down watching Saturday morning cartoons, Superman was lofty. That didn't make sense. That didn't feel attainable. I can't fly. I don't have, you know, laser death vision. I can't run very fast. But Lex Luthor, he was smart. All he had to do was be funny and nice and intelligent. And I was all of those things at nine. So that made sense. That was an easier linear jump than I need to be some magic alien that can shoot death beams from their eyes and you know, fly supersonic without turning inside out. I also think it comes down to charisma, which we mentioned earlier. I mean, wasn't Magneto a heck of a speaker? Oh, he was. Now, I don't know exactly how much of that was Magneto and certainly Ian McKellen, but, I mean, props go to wherever they need to go. Right, I mean, but even in the comics, I mean, some of those long, drawn-out speeches were like, damn, okay, I mean, sure, and... We see how dangerous charisma can be. I mean, like, think of, like, mystique. How dangerous is charisma and charm? Oh, precisely. I mean, being able to turn into anybody is one thing, but, I mean, you've got to be able to act the part. And mystique, every single word and syllable out of her mouth drift was venom, and you just could not help but be attracted to it. Right. Why do you think we love the bad guy? I just, I mean, on top of what you said, I think a good portion of it is they are a lot more complex than your average superhero, and I think that makes them more interesting. I mean, truth, you know, truth, justice in the miracle way, boring, I don't care. But getting down to, you you know, going from you think Captain Cold's absolutely crazy to, no, this guy actually hit, he has problems, he needs you know, he can't keep food on the table. He, you know, his marriage is struggling to Pied Piper, who, you know, openly gay character. Again, you know, he kind of wants to get revenge on the people who, who picked on him. And the trickster is another great example of, you know, he's really just kind of loco. And, you know, Two-Face, which I think is one of the greatest examples of complex characters, but that kind of goes more into, he doesn't really have layers versus there's just many compartments in his brain that are exploding at once. Yeah, Two-Face is a really, really odd category because I don't even really class him as a villain depending on who's writing him. I mean, there's definitely more comic versions of him that, yeah, he's just a bad guy and they don't really lean too much on the Harvey Dent backstory. But there is versions that very, very heavily lean on that this is just a guy who built a coping mechanism that got too crazy. And then you get into alternates with Two-Face, where he actually builds a crazier third personality to keep the second personality in check. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, he basically has a court system going up on there, where one personality is the judge, one's the jury, and one's the executioner. And it, 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 it gives a far more interesting read than, you know, planet being destroyed, baby put in the rocket, lands on Earth, is raised by mom, pocket. I mean, that's kind of boring compared to what we just said. Yeah, I definitely think complexity is an interesting part of it. I mean, I know even when it comes to my heroes, I'm way more interested in the ones that aren't traditional. I mean, I'll definitely take Batman over Superman any day. 
there's more complexity to Bruce Wayne. Even when people write, you know, Clark Kent is super dark and dramatic, cough, young justice, cough, <laughs> I still rather lean on Batman. I still think that's, I still think that's a more enticing read. They're also usually more well-rounded as characters. I mean, evil multi is um, multi-dimensional any way you slice it. There is no... Again, like, the Joker's such a great example. Even when the goal is chaos, there's so much thought that goes into making that chaos. <laughs> Which I have to agree. And, you know, with that same kind of category of well-roundedness going on, I think a good thing that... I'm going to, you know, put a little plug out there is a lot of these characters, I've, especially the anti-hero vigilante characters, are overshadowed by the bigger characters in their books. And, you know, Catwoman when she's with Bruce Wayne, Harley Quinn when she's with Joker. So I would really recommend um, anyone to go out and read uh, this series called Gotham City Sirens that was before the New 52. And you get Catwoman, Harley, and ivy all away from these characters and basically living like sorority girls and you kind of realize what exactly goes on inside their brains or you can just watch that static shock episode that was a psa for not meeting people in chat rooms i think that's a terrible example if you want to watch really bad 90s cartoons go ahead <laughs> but that actually is a pretty decent tie-in i mean the 90s were all about psas because they were so worried about what we'd grow up into but let's look at some of the psych behind what made some of these guys, you know, as crazy and intense as they were. And it doesn't get much more sick and twisted than the Joker. <laughs> Which, the Joker is one of my favorite, uh, like, origin stories because a lot of people just think he's some crazed man running around, you know, with his little acid flower and stuff. No, there's way much more going on with him. Um... The Joker is a good um, example, kind of with Two-Face, of the world just got a little too tough. He couldn't deal with it. Something bad happened, and boom. He basically lost it. And, you know, in this case, he was trying to be a stand-up comedian. He got fired from his job. His wife, who was pregnant with child, died. And he got knocked into a vat of chemicals all within the same night. If I'm going to be honest, that'd probably drive me a little crazy, too. Yeah, I think I'd be a little cuckoo after that. And then uh, another great Batman example would be Scarecrow, who, I mean, he's literally villain of psychiatrics. Oh my gosh, I mean, and that's a guy, I mean, almost in the same vein as, you know, Magneto, who really had the best intentions to know, I want to help people with mental illness, but people in Arkham aren't people, so we'll just test on them. <laughs> I mean... Just that really crazy, like, Dr. Mengele kind of like, okay, well, that's not how ethics works. And, I mean, Decent Intentions, just really, really scary. Like, episodes that still scare me to this day, scary kind of thing. Which, I mean, I think it fits him. I mean, he, Nestor Corpse kept trying to rec recruit him and finally did at one point. Yeah, but that was such a long and hard-fought battle. Now, this next example is definitely going to depend on who's writing him. But Doctor Doom, um, again, depends on who's writing him. Sometimes he's just happens to be a guy who thinks he's doing good things for the world. Other times he hates everybody because they pick on him because he's from a different country and he will shoot down anything that flies over his castle. And then there's always um, 
which is a common theme with a lot of the villains you'll notice us mentioning is revenge, where you know he was in love with Sue Storm, he, he she decided to marry Reed Richards, he was involved in sometimes involved in the accident that gave him the powers. It all kind of goes downhill from there. Right, and again, Doom is a great example because he's totally depending on who writes him. What I always thought was interesting about Doctor Doom was his unwillingness to work with other villains. I think that was. That was probably one of my favorite things about him was his, like, absolute lack of desire to work for anyone else. Marvel especially has the very, very bad habit of trying to get all of the villains to be best friends in the exact same, like, timeline. I mean, DC definitely had its heyday with that, but Marvel especially now is very much like, no, we need, like, three villains per movie. But Doom was always very singular. He did not like working with anyone he did not really had no interest really in joining the cabal just basically wants to do whatever the hell he feels like or you know he was very very well known for getting in the middle of another villain's plot to not only eradicate whatever was going on but use whatever was ever going on in his favor and he had a really bad habit of jumping in whenever asgardian anything was involved that's true. He always seemed to, like, pop up like, Midgard Serpent, you rang? He definitely did. So that's always been a very, very... The god complex that went with Doctor Doom, if we're using psych terms, is a really, really interesting part of him. And definitely worth researching. Again, he's one of those characters, though, that it definitely depends on who's writing him. And you know who else is kind of like that? Who would that be? Green Goblin, I mean, definitely who's writing him. It either goes from an incredibly super, super tortured soul or literally a troll. <laughs> I mean, he, I mean, I'm pretty sure there was times that him and Loki kicked back and just kind of watched what was going on in the world. Yeah, had a giant contest of how many old people they could hit with apples. And, you know, I mean, just totally depending on who's writing him. This is either the most tortured like multiple personality disorder kind of villain or the guy who could not have fewer bucks to give <laughs> and just likes ruining people's days with you know halloweeny themed items <laughs> yeah he he was uh he was a basket case yeah he he was but in all fairness wasn't harley quinn too Oh my god, I mean, Harley Quinn is such a great topic to discuss right now. I mean, one, she is the queen and the reason why we are discussing this topic. Not to mention, speaking of psychology, Harley Quinn actually started out as a normal, stable psychologist in Arkham Asylum. Right, she sort of imprinted on the Joker after going over case files and basically decided that he wasn't such a bad guy, so... You know, one thing led to another, and now she paints her face white and goes off and fights alongside Mr. J. Which is weird, because again, depending on who's writing her, she's usually pretty normal and chill when she's by herself. Except for Assault on Arkham, where she's eating off old people's ears because they took her really, really bad version of the Looney Tunes. The lady was doing her a favor, I'm just saying. <laughs> And, you know, Harley Quinn really falls into that category when we're talking about psychology and all that of she's really, again, when she's by herself or she, when she's with Red or with Selena, she's 
for the most part, just a hyperactive ADHD child. But it's when the Joker gets involved, you know, he's a trigger. And, you know, she's a great example of people who really will do anything for love despite how severely unhealthy it is. Right, and how many people tell her it's unhealthy? I think that's what's interesting. I think when other villains are telling you, no, seriously, what are you doing? (laughs) I think that's always been such an interesting thing for me with Harley especially, is when you have other villains like, no, for real, stop. (laughs) This is not okay. But she's, she's an interesting little nutcase, isn't she? Oh, she really is. You know, she'll do just about anything for her pudding. Oh, Mr. J. You know, another great example uh, is Magneto. And, uh, you know, we kind of discussed it, so we don't want to beat it into the ground. But Magneto's, again, he's going to be the poster boy child of, I really am trying to help. You know, he. I mean, he survived the Holocaust. He watched his entire race almost get destroyed by an evil organization. So... I mean, imagine growing up in a universe where that happened and then, you know, next thing you know, there are mutants and there are basically people out there who are trying to do the same thing. I'm not saying I condone what he, what Magneto did, but let's be honest, Ma- Magnus had some solid points going on. Absolutely, and this is one of those interesting in- times where you have severe trust issues. I mean, just an absolute lack of trust when it comes to you know not your own xenophobia is the word that if it's not familiar if it's not mutant it's not safe so just incredibly hostile and afraid of the outside and with good reason i think that again that's the hardest thing about magneto is that it's very very difficult to just look at him and like oh no he's wrong he brings up a lot of good points and he really saw humanity at its worst and if i was in his position i wouldn't have a great deal of faith in humans either again you know we don't condone it but i mean the man knew what he was doing for the most part yeah but do you know who actually kind of didn't know what he was signing up for for a while and who would that be that has to be venom i mean that's definitely someone who kind of if i'm allowed the horrible pun bit off more than he could chew and i mean let's let's be a little more specific because venom and i mean venom you're referring to the symbiote um let's be more specific and go with eddie brock yes forgive we must make that clarification because there is a total difference there really is and like we said you know venom is going to be the actual alien symbiote that takes over people. Now, Eddie Brock is another perfect example of a revenge story. Um, no matter who's writing him, it always usually starts out that he finds out, he thinks he finds the serial killer, writes a story about it, and then it turns out Spider-Man saves the actual, I mean, saves, catches the actual serial killer. Eddie gets shamed, he loses his job, he, get, he becomes very violent, depressed, suicidal and then here comes the symbiote symbiote whatever it's called that basically feeds upon his emotions and turns him into this basically this raging monster that wants nothing more than to bring spider-man down that's an incredibly singular focus and really it's it's a psychosis in a way (laughs) That one I always struggled with, mostly because 
Venom scared the heck out of me. Can I just say, like, that whole character design. I mean, I'm not an arachnophobe, but that, that design always scared the pants off of me. I mean, Carnage was bad and all, but, I mean, the reason we bring up Venom is because Carnage was crazy before the symbiote took over. Whereas Venom, he really, he was, he's another great example of, like, and Harley Quinn is, you know, falls into this category, of someone who was basically preyed upon somebody more powerful and really didn't have a lot of choice on what came out next. Yeah, Doc Ock, depending on who writes him, kind of falls into that category as well, where best intentions with the suit, really good intentions, just the the end result was less than desirable. Yeah, and honestly, that's that's a good common theme among these villains, and it's something you see a lot, but, I mean, that's what makes them so damn interesting and so much fun totally i mean there's definitely so much more we can talk about i mean we're gonna have a lot of fun talking about the psychology of some of these villains just because it really needs to be discussed i mean it really is what is driving some of these guys and for some it's mental it's literal mental illness for others it's just obsession so we'll definitely be talking about this a lot more so don't by no means think that the book is closed on villainy and as new adaptations of some of our old favorites come out, we'll definitely have a lot to say about it. I mean, we're, get, we're about to see a new version of Ultron. We're about to see a new version of Gambit. There's a lot of great bad guys that we're finally seeing newer versions of. And we'll need to weigh in on those. Oh, without a doubt. And, you know, we'll make sure that it's not just made of screaming, raging cage in the entire time the game and movie is on. I'm just saying, Channing Tatum better not know a lick of English. They need to drop him off in a <laughs> swamp somewhere. He, Gambit should be unintelligible. That's all I'm going to say. If I can understand any portion of that movie without subtitles, I'm done. <laughs> That's a different discussion for a different time. But, guys, we had so much fun talking baddies with you. I mean... Really, this is a huge topic, and it definitely needed, you know, a Tolkien-esque trilogy to really give it, well, third pun, to give it justice. Eh, I'll allow it. Thank you. <laughs> but, you know, as stated, we are definitely not done with this. You know, with more versions coming out, we'll probably definitely do a rehash of this entire series. Um, before we leave you guys, you know, our normal shameless tag, we are on Facebook. Hit us up, uh, facebook.com. Slash Destiny Geek Code. Not only that, but we are actually on WordPress now as well. So you're going to see from both of us just articles, blog posts, and basically stuff that we don't have time to sit down and record, or the show will just take two hours. So we're going to put it in longhand and post it on there. Yeah, we find some great, like, dissertation level stuff that, I mean, we would never be able to stop recording if we had if we had to go over them. So that's definitely what the blog is for. Blog is definitely there for like long format stuff. But yeah, Facebook definitely the place for conversation. So if you guys have any questions, comments, anything, feel free to hit us up. Um, our personal accounts are still on there. We're working on a we're working on a group Twitter that's coming. I've been working on secret projects. <laughs> so guys, it has been so much fun talking with you. So this is Amanda signing off. Taylor as well. Bye.